This morning, I want to begin to turn our attention back to the series that we're in, uh, going through the book of James, a series called Get Real. And uh, it's been, for me, a very enjoyable study looking at what James had to say to the 12 different uh, nations, the, the churches at large, the Jewish believers, giving them real-life instruction uh, to deal with situations that, that were happening to them. And as we look through it, <clears throat> we find that these are situations that happen to us as well. And that's why it's called Get Real, is because it's just as applicable today as it was back then. Last week, as we wrapped up chapter 4, uh, James was giving a warning to the churches to not rely upon themselves, that idea of self-sufficiency or self-confidence, that if they, if they poured all of their attention, if they relied completely on themselves, there wouldn't be any room for God to be in their hearts. They wouldn't rely on God, and ultimately their relationship with God could be severely hampered. And he continues this morning, as we're going to be in James chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 6, with another warning that uh, applicable then, just as applicable today, talking about, uh, well, really, it's a warning to those who are rich. So let's, uh, let's begin by looking at the passage in James chapter 5, the first six verses, and then we'll dig into this a little bit. So James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So this was the warning that James is giving, and he begins with the words, Look here, you rich people. And I would imagine in this room, several people, after I said that statement, tuned out and said, Well, that's not me. I'm, I'm not the rich person. But the reality is, uh, we truly are blessed. We are truly blessed. There are many around the world that would define us as some of the most wealthy. And in fact, there was a statistic that was given to me that said an annual income of $32,400, an annual income of $32,400 puts you in the top 1% wealthy, of wealthy people in the world. That's not a very big number, especially in this community. But the, the truth is, we are, we are blessed. We have, we have resources that many people around the world don't have. So if you don't count yourself as one of the wealthy, I think there's still real application for each and every one of us this morning about what wealth is and how it can impact us. And so James uh, gives some examples that paint a picture of the problems wealth can create. And the first one that he, he gives is this. He says that wealth can change our attitude. Wealth can change our attitude. And he gives a couple of examples of how this happens. It's not the idea of saving that's the issue, because we ought to be responsible. There's this line of responsibility, but it's when it goes beyond that 
that it begins to impact our attitudes. It's this idea of amassing wealth that is never going to be used and ultimately goes to waste. And that's, that's the danger, the, the picture that he's painting. It's this idea of, I want more just so I can have more. And that's, that's the attitude that James is addressing here. And he uses a couple of word pictures to illustrate that. Uh, in, the, in the phrase that I mentioned, he says, your wealth is rotting away. The word rotting there is actually refers to, and if you can get an image of this, and perhaps uh, the smell might come to mind, of rotting food. Uh, a, a mass stockpile of food that has gone to waste and is rotting and will no long, it can no longer be used as food. That's, that's the image that he's creating by using these words. If uh, I remember growing up, this doesn't happen in our home, but growing up, sometimes leftovers would linger in the fridge longer than they should. How many of you know that day where it's, okay, today we're going to clean out the fridge? And you begin to open up the leftover containers, and yep, that was, that was last night's dinner, and that was last week's dinner, and I'm really not sure what that is, but I don't even want to smell it. It goes right in the garbage disposal. That idea of rotting food is the, is the image that he gets when he says, your wealth is rotting away, this idea of, of food that's going to waste. And then he continues that says, your, your fine clothes are moth-eaten. And imagine, imagine a wardrobe full of really nice clothes that you never get to wear. In fact, nothing in there has been touched so long that the moths have begun to, to nest in there and eat away at the clothing, and it's just ultimately going to go to waste. Now, if, if you happen to have a large wardrobe and you rotate your clothes, that's not the issue. The issue is having this overabundance, this hoarding mentality of things that are just going to go to waste. And he gives a money illustration as well, talking about um, stockpiling their gold and silver to the point where it's corroded. Now, we know that gold and silver don't corrode. It's not rust. It doesn't waste away. But the image is really um, like this layer of filth and grime that will begin to amass on top of it, like the box that's been stored in the basement or the garage too long, and you pull it out, and there's just this layer of, of muck on top that you don't even want to touch it. That's the, the illustration that he's, he's giving in these words. And he's not the first to use these illustrations. Jesus used this same illustration back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He gives this, this warning to the people who are listening. He says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. See, this is a problem, this, this hoarding mentality of things that are ultimately going to waste. I imagine if you were to, to come up with an illustration in today's terms, things that we could perhaps be a little bit more closer to understanding, uh, you've maybe seen a, a TV news special or a story a headline in the news about a, a home where a hoarder lived, someone who just kept everything to the point where you couldn't even walk through the rooms in the home because everything was just stockpiled. And I got to believe it starts with an attitude of, I can use that one day and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this project one day, but it gets out of hand. And, and at the end of the day, it's been amassed and stored for so long that when the, the person is no longer in the home, they have to bring in garbage dumpsters and just pull, wear masks and hazmat suits because everything that's in there has just gone to waste. And it all has to be hauled out and thrown away, and the home ultimately has to be gutted. He says, those who have wealth are at risk of developing this hoarding attitude that will ultimately 
be a testimony against us. See, if, 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 you're, if you're hoarding things that others are in need of, and you, and, and you know you're never going to use it, but you're not going to share, that's evidence against you is the, the condition of your heart and your attitude. And not only to the people that are in need, but one day we're going to have to give an account of the things that we've been blessed with, the things that God has provided to us. We're going to have to give an account to him of what we did with those things. And it's either going to be, yes, God, I use these things to further your kingdom, or I just kind of held on to them to myself until ultimately they went to waste. And so it's up to us to decide what our testimony is going to be in that day. And again, the, the issue is not saving and I don't have a dollar amount that I can say to you today where if you have this much in your savings account, it's okay. But if you go over this amount, uh, you're running a risk. I don't have that number for you. I think it's more of a condition of, of your heart in regard to these things. So the, the first caution that he gives is that the wealth can change our attitude. He gives another illustration of one of the things that wealth can potentially do to people who aren't being careful. He says that wealth can change our behavior. And he talks about the illustration of, of an employer who's not treating their employees well. He talks about the cries of the field workers who, whom you've cheated out of pay. There comes a moment when someone who's been subject to this idea of, of hoarding wealth uh, begins to treat people differently. And they no longer see people as uh, people that God loves or if it's a, an employer-employee relationship that we, we have this partnership that together we're going to win, the danger is this attitude that develops that I, I see you now as simply as a tool to increase my wealth. And that's a real danger. When, our, when the way we treat people, when our behavior gets to that point, uh, we've got a real problem. And it's a, it's a real danger. In fact, the audience receiving this letter from James would have been very familiar with the Mosaic Law. And Moses talked about this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He paints this illustration. He says this, Never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you, and it would be counted against you as sin. This attitude of using people and not, not fulfilling your end of the bargain, no, not all laborers are poor and destitute. Some are very highly skilled. But regardless, they are not people to be taken advantage of. You've noticed a lot of the things that have been happening around this building since basically uh, December last year. And in the progress of the bathrooms being renovated and the foyer and the hallways, we have had contractors and laborers in and out of this building Monday through Friday and, and sometimes even over the weekend. And we frequently will interact with them. We've developed a relationship with them. And one of the things I can tell you is they love being here. They love being here. There's something different about working here than a lot of the other job sites that they work at. Well, first of all, it's air-conditioned, uh, so they're working inside, um, and we take care of them. Not, not that they need it, but sometimes you just you bless people because that's what you're supposed to do. And the warning is that if, if we're not careful, if our behavior changes, we're going to begin to treat people poorly. And... 
ultimately that will affect your relationship with those people. Like if we treated these contractors poorly, I think we would have trouble getting them to show up. And so we've got to maintain those relationships that we have here on earth. But he goes on to say that if you, do, if you treat people poorly, it's going to get the attention. God himself is going to hear their cries, and then I've got to deal with that on the day of judgment, that I treated people poorly because of my behavior. It's a real concern. He gives one more, one more uh, picture of what people who handle wealth poorly can ultimately find themselves engaged in, and it's this, that wealth can change our priorities. Wealth can change our priorities. Basically, the people who he's addressing just began to live lavishly and extravagantly blessing themselves. It was all about this extreme focus on self. What do we, so what's the answer? Well, the answer isn't to live a life of being poor and destitute. That's not, that, those are two ends of that pendulum swinging, either spending everything they have on themselves or, God, look at how poor I am and how destitute I am. Maybe I'll get your attention. Paul addressed that in Colossians chapter 2. That's not the answer. The answer is really aligning ourselves with God's will and God's purposes. Jesus said this to his disciples. In Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. It's no longer about self, 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 or self-denial, self-denial, self-denial. It's about walking in step with God's plan and God's purposes. And if we truly take up our crosses, if we're truly trying to follow Jesus with all of our heart, then there's little room left for living in a, in a level of luxury that is simply satisfying all of myself. There's not going to be any room for that. So James feels a need to address people's attitudes and their behaviors and their priorities because he knows that people who have wealth have the responsibility of, of making sure that doesn't happen. He says if it does happen, if you are in that position and you've allowed your attitude to go south and your behavior, the way you treat people is, is not good and your priorities are all about self. And he said, you better start weeping right now. You better start getting ready for what's coming your way because of the way you've been behaving. And he, and he closes out that passage in, in verse 6, James 5, 6. He says, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. When wealth has corrupted the attitudes and behaviors and priorities of people, then ultimately they take it out on people who are not even in a position to resist them. One source had suggested that because of wealth and position, that they would have had the authority in perhaps a courtroom to take advantage of people. And it's just completely out of control. And this behavior ultimately is going to be evidence against them. But let me say this very clearly. I don't believe wealth is the issue. I don't believe wealth is the issue. Because I think God does want to bless us. He does want to provide for us. Not in a, not in a prosperity type message where you know, we're just going to be you know, poured out on. But I think God gives good gifts. We know that he does. He knows how to good gifts, give good gifts. Uh, Moses, back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, He's giving some final instruction to the nation of Israel. 
He knows he's not going to enter the promised land, but they're about to enter the promised land. And listen to this picture that he paints of what they're about to experience, and then he finishes it with a word of caution that I think is very much in line with what James is saying. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. He's painting a picture of, of a blessing that's about to be poured out to the people. But then he goes on to say, When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. He's addressing an attitude that's associated with the, these, these blessings. That if we're not careful, if we recognize all the blessings that we have and we become spoiled and it affects our attitude and our behavior and our priorities, we're going we're gonna to be at risk in our relationship with God. Be careful not to forget the Lord. So now we've got to decide how we're going to handle this. And Proverbs 11.4, I think, gives us a really good starting point on where we go from here. Proverbs 11.4 says this, Riches won't help you on the day of judgment. We don't get to take them with us. But right living can save you from death. Riches won't help you on the day of judgment, but right living can can save you from death. So what is right living when it comes to wealth? Wealth isn't the issue. And we know that God at times chooses to bless people with with provision that we would recognize as wealth or or riches. So how do we handle it? We've got to know what to do. And so I want to give you this morning three things that can arm us to manage this well. And you go back to the beginning and you say, well, but I'm not rich. Well, really you're in a position to bless somebody who's less fortunate than you. There's probably people in this community that would look at anyone in this room and recognize them as blessed or wealthy or rich. Or for the students that are studying, the goal is one day to have a job to provide income for their homes and their families. They're going to be in a position one day. Or maybe God's got something in store for you in the future that you don't know about, but we want to be ready to handle it. And so let me give you the first of three things that we can do. And it's pretty simple. We need to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We need to manage well the things that God has given us. And that may seem pretty obvious, but uh, it's worth mentioning. We've got to manage what he's given to us. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Having wealth is not a sin. It's not a problem if we manage it well. And he gives some some specific instructions in this passage, and one of them is to, to check our pride level with respect to our accomplishments and our wealth. Do we, do we 
put an emphasis on that? Is it, has it become a, a mark of something that we can boast about? Uh, we need to guard our pride when it comes to wealth. And then he asks, you know, the, the word entrusted. Be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. How do we demonstrate that our trust is truly in God? And it's easy to say that it is when we have things. When life is good, it's easy to say, yeah, I trust in God because I've got this back here. How do we get to that point? How do we demonstrate we truly trust God? Well, I think one of the biggest parts of this, and let me just preface this by saying, I'm not going to close the service by taking another offering this morning, okay? We're not going to do that. But I think tithing is that great first step in demonstrating our trust in God, not in our own wealth, demonstrating that we know what's left over after the tithe is going to cover all of my needs, it's going to be all the provision I need. Being faithful in our tithing is that first step to demonstrating I know how to handle wealth. I know how to handle what God is blessing me with. Pastor David, Pastor Melissa and I stand up here every Sunday and we'll give a little snippet, a little piece of truth about what it means to tithe. And it isn't just filler before the sermon. This is real instructions about how we're supposed to deal with what God has blessed us with. So we're supposed to use that money to do good. I think that first level in demonstrating that I'm a good steward of what God has entrusted to me is tithing. But really, we need, to, we need to manage it, manage our pride when it comes to it, manage where our level of trust is when using our money to do good. Another, another suggestion on how we can handle wealth well, and, and that's this. Discover true contentment. Discover what true contentment really is. And it isn't really found in, in a large savings account. Paul told Timothy that true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. When I'm in a right relationship with God and I recognize what it means to walk in contentment, then that's great wealth right there. I love, uh, I love what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter 4. Uh, and, and Paul was all over the map. He knew what it was like to have uh, a lot of provision, and he knew what it was like to be in great need. And he says this in Philippians 4.12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And he goes on to say that he can do all things through Christ. That's really where his, his contentment is, is in his relationship with the Father. Now, for the record, getting to that level of contentment usually comes in walking through trying times. If you really want to know what it is to be content in difficult times, you usually have to walk through difficult times in order to get there. But that's the type of contentment we want. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this uh, exchange with a woman at the well. And Jesus is by himself in that moment because the disciples have gone to get some food. And while he's alone at the well, he has this woman approaches and he has this conversation. And when the disciples return with the food, Jesus says, I'm not hungry anymore, I'm good. And they're discussing among themselves, I didn't give him anything to eat. Did you give him something? I didn't give him anything to eat. But Jesus found great fulfillment in living out what the Father wanted him to do. Having that close relationship with the Father put him in a place where he was completely satisfied, even beyond what his body was physically craving. 
I want to have that kind of a relationship because the truth is when we walk in overindulgence or extravagance, uh, some nasty things happen to our hearts. Uh, Pastor Melissa shared with me um, some quotes out of a book called The Golden Alphabet by Charles Spurgeon. And his comments are in reference to this verse that we'll put up on the screen, Psalm 119, verse 70, uh, out of the King James says this, Their heart, those who are arrogant, those who are extravagant, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. So their, their hearts are fat like grease. That paints a, a picture of something that's unhealthy, that's just been sitting idle and accumulating that layer of grime. But the psalmist finishes it up by saying, but I delight in thy law. So Charles Spurgeon, in reference to that, had a couple of quotes that I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is this. He said, no one who loves holiness has the slightest cause to envy the prosperity of those who are worldly. No one who loves holiness has the slightest cause to envy the prosperity of those who are worldly. You could almost put the period earlier in that sentence and said, no one who loves holiness has the slightest cause to envy. If if we're walking in that right relationship with God, if we've discovered that true contentment, then there's no need for us to have this desire to pursue a wealth that could take us somewhere where we don't want to be. And he says this a little bit later in that same chapter. He says, when law becomes delight, when God's word becomes delight, obedience is bliss. And when we're walking in that, we are walking in true contentment. That's the type of contentment we want. And then if God blesses with wealth above that, we'll know what to do with it. If he doesn't, we're still walking in that right relationship and contentment. We want to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We want to discover true contentment. And one more for you this morning before we wrap up is this. We want to invest in others. We want to invest in others. Now, you need to know the wording of point number three was very specific because I I went to some of the other pastors and I said, is it okay for my third point to be put your money where your mouth is? And they said, no, that's probably a bad idea on Sunday morning. So we're going to say it this way. We're going to invest in others. And we see this, uh, we see it played out in real life and the benefit of it. We see it played out in Scripture. One of, one of the things that stuck out to me when we walked through the book of Nehemiah some time ago was in chapter 10. As they're beginning to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, they're still under the oppression of the people in that area who were levying heavy taxes on the Israelites. And so as they're building the walls and as the nation of Israel has kind of collapsed inside of the Jerusalem and they're taking care of each other, they're helping each other out, what happens is the wealthy people begin to help provide for the taxes of the poor people in the city. Now, they get rebuked because the wealthy people were charging heavy amounts of interest. They had allowed that attitude to sneak into their hearts where I'm going to use people to to make more money. And so they get rebuked for that. And they get corrected and they fix it. But the idea is this. Those who had wealth were able to help those who didn't have wealth. They were investing in the lives of others and it helped for the survival of the city. I have a, personally, I have a couple of moments in my life that just significantly stick out. And one of them goes back to one of my last years of college. And I had a, a close friend. His name was Jason. And Jason was first year out of college. I was last year in college. And we just had a, a time that we were together. And, and it came out that uh, I had a job. I was working. I was trying to get my way through school. But the gas situation in my car just wasn't going to make it to the next paycheck. 
Now, Jason wasn't that far uh, above me. He's just first job out of college. Uh, and we were good friends, and he knew I was working hard and, and, and trying to finish up school. And so as we wrapped up that evening together, he said, well, why don't you follow me down the road? And we drove down the road, and we pulled into the gas station, and he put $20 in my gas tank. And today you're thinking, well, why didn't he give you a full gallon? Back then, $20 was a full tank of gas. <laughs> One time, selfishly gave out of the little that he had. You don't have to be extravagantly wealthy to bless someone with like that, a tank of gas. But here I am many years later recounting that story because it stuck out of someone who, who just was doing the right thing. He was investing in others. And so my hope is that uh, the stories in Scripture, my life experience might inspire you to do the same thing, to invest in others. I just want to close with a couple of more passages of Scripture to emphasize this point, and then we'll be done this morning. But 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 says this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. I can't say it any better than that. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Proverbs has a lot of wealth in it. Proverbs 3.27 puts it this way. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. And all of these are just different ways of saying what James already told us earlier in chapter 2, a passage that I got to share on several weeks ago. James 2.18 says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Investing in others is one of the ways that we can show that, God, we can manage wealth well. We can do with it what you are entrusting us to do. Because having money is not the problem. It's really a heart condition. And so this morning, I don't, I don't want to be the, the individual that stands on stage and, and comes up with a, something specific that you need to feel guilty about or respond to. My heart is this, that the Holy Spirit through this morning, through the passages of Scripture, has just begun to enlighten you to say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And maybe you're being inspired to, to live that out a little bit differently or maybe someone said, you know what, I've really kind of been blowing it in that area, but that's not for me to do. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is speaking to individuals right now.